Uncommon Commons is a horror anthology podcast written and recorded by George Plank and Alex Vitale. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. should do it. No, wait, I think I need more bats. Maybe another pumpkin by the door? Or, oh, more spider webs. Jane, what are you doing? Oh, John, what does it look like I'm doing? Setting up a murder scene? Don't be silly, you haven't annoyed me that much. Uh, Do me a favor and toss that sheet over the sofa, would you? Jane, whose blood is this? No one you know. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that looks good. Good job. You're in an uncomfortably cheery mood. Are you sure you're Jane? No. Anyways, how does it look? Uh, I'll admit, I'm more of a fan of nondescript winter holiday. That would explain your lackluster costume. What are you supposed to be? Depressed office worker? I'm not wearing a costume. (laughs) Oh, in that case, go put this on. I can't wear this. This mask is definitely a licensed horror movie character. No, no, no. It's inside out. Oh. Oh. It's a licensed sci-fi character. What are you supposed to be anyway? Can't you tell? I'm Robert Frost. Huh? You don't look like a snowman. Oh, by the way, I stopped to pick up our mail. One for me and one for you. Yep. Two stories. The usual amount per mail run. No deviation from that. Ugh, what is it covered in? Ectoplasm. The mailboxes are covered in it. I'm telling you, Jane, we're going to have to call someone. There is something strange in the neighborhood. The only thing strange is you. There is no neighborhood. Uh, That's a later problem. Go ahead and read your story. I'm going to go try to de-goo mine. (laughs) Good luck. It gets everywhere. The temperature was starting to dip. Leaves of brown and gold were starting to fall from their branches, and everyone at OCU seemed to be in the holiday spirit. Between classes, students could be seen traveling in groups, huddled together discussing their dormitory decorations and their plans for the big night, divvying up who would grab party essentials like dry ice, pumpkin spice, and even some witch's brew. Charlie from Econ said that he was stockpiling toilet paper. No one could tell if he was planning on having a little Halloween fun or if he knew something that no one else did. In certain halls, unflattering caricatures of some very difficult professors were carved into pumpkins. One ancient languages professor wore plastic vampire teeth for his entire lecture, guaranteeing that no one understood a single word he said, as per usual. For a while, Liz thought that she would be the only one without Halloween plans this year. This was her freshman year at OCU, and this was her first year away from home. Her family and friends were several states away, but in the end, Ophucius County University offered her the biggest scholarship. That was before her roommate, Blair, invited her out of the blue to come back to her hometown with her for the week. Blair assured her that Wilkinsville was just the next county over. They would go to an event, spend the night at Blair's house, and then be back with plenty of time to finish whatever homework Liz might have. Under normal circumstances, Liz might have been more skeptical, but as the days grew closer and closer to the big night, the costume she had bought months ago sat in her closet, mocking her. Besides, she had promised herself that she would try to get out of her comfort zone, and seeing as she had never even heard of Wilkinsville before, it seemed pretty far out of that zone. 
That and she wanted to get closer to Blair. The trip up there wasn't long, but it was repetitive in a way. Even with her favorite podcast playing through the speakers in Blair's car, Liz was drawn in by the scenery, or lack thereof. No, she decided, we haven't been going in circles. A lot of trees look alike. A lot of advertisers use the phrase, if you lived here, you'd be home by now. And Patty's Diner was probably just a local chain that she wasn't aware of. I should probably warn you, Blair broke the silence about an hour into their trip. In Wilkinsville, they do things a a little differently. Oh, yeah? How so? Well, for starters, they don't celebrate Halloween, per se. Oh, but you said we were going to an event. Well, we are. They just prefer to call it a harvest festival. A harvest festival? Uh, Yeah, it dates back to the city's founding. It's just kind of a long-running thing. Oh, that's cool. Liz didn't really think all that much of it. From the sound of it, she was concerned it was going to be a religious thing. She had wandered into her fair share of trunker treats while she was out and about in her childhood Halloween adventures. The car pulled into the parking lot of the Wilkinsville Community Center. The center itself sat on the edge of the forest clearing. There were no decorations or anything that indicated that an event was supposed to be happening. Blair must have noticed Liz's apprehension. Oh, uh, the Harvest Festival isn't here. That's why we have that. She pointed to the side of the building, and Liz noticed a small line forming near an old, rusty tractor and an equally rusty flatbed trailer covered with hay. The hayride took them deep into the woods. Dense trees assailed the tractor on both sides. Soon the canopy choked out what was left of the setting sun, and the headlights of the tractor lit the quickly disappearing dirt path they had been following. As with the car ride up here, the ride seemed to go on for much longer than it actually did. Every time she checked her phone, maybe one or two minutes would have passed, despite the fact that it easily felt like ten to twenty minutes at a time. Finally, the trees pulled away at the sides like edges of a curtain, and Liz saw the Harvest Festival in all its glory. This was more like it. There were booths for seasonal food and drinks. Children ran back and forth between many games that doled out copious amounts of candy. There were decorative pumpkins and squash and other gourds everywhere. And the whole place was lit by strings of light dangling from tree branches and lanterns hung from strategically placed metal hooks. It looked remarkably like something one might see in an early 1900s Halloween's greeting card. The main attraction was towards the back of the field. A wall of cornstalks rose to meet onlookers with a single opening and a banner that said MAZE in bright red hand-painted letters. See? Now wasn't this worth it? Blair nudged Liz in the arm. Liz nodded, amazed that all of this was back here in the woods. Blair grabbed Liz's hand and led her around to the booths, introducing her to some of the locals. This is Tom. He works at the hardware store. And I always have. (laughs) And you always will. But today he's just our friendly neighborhood cider dealer. The two of them played games and shared a funnel cake. Altogether, Liz thought it might have been one of the best Halloweens she's ever had. A whistle sound came from a nearby loudspeaker mounted on a pole in the center of the field. Blair looked over her shoulder for a moment before turning back to Liz. Hey, I gotta take care of something for a moment. Would you mind waiting for me for just a bit? I'll be right back. Where else am I going to go, joked Liz. Just don't go into the maze without me. It's important. Uh, Okay. Blair turned and walked away, joining a group of others that were going to the side of the maze. Liz sighed. She would have been lying to herself if she said she didn't want to spend more time with Blair, but there was more than enough to keep her distracted for the time being. She played a few of the games and got a fair amount of candy. For a small community, they seemed to have gone all out and even had full-size name-brand stuff. 
The night went on, and the late October breeze carried fallen leaves across the field. Liz shuddered and pulled her arms into her ophiuchus U hoodie. The temperature had dropped a whole ten degrees, and hot apple cider could only fix so much. Oh, where was Blair? Liz was starting to get worried. Actually, come to think of it, where were most of the people that were here earlier? The crowd had become incredibly thin, to the point where only the booth attendants were still visible. Liz heard a playful giggle from behind her. Come on, Billy, a little girl beckoned. They're going to close the maze soon. The pair ran off into the maze hand in hand. Still, no sign of Blair. As much as she would like to do the maze with her, it was probably now or never. She entered the maze and made her way to the center. The maze was dimly lit with a few hanging lanterns. The corn towered over Liz's head and made seeing past any of the walls impossible. She had no idea where she was going, so she made a right turn and then a left. The moon was almost directly overhead, so it did nothing for her navigation. She delved deeper and deeper into the maze. One stalk of corn looks a lot like another, so she wasn't even sure if she was going anywhere. Had she been at this intersection before? Maybe that's the same lantern she passed a while ago. It was difficult to say. Feedback rang from the field's PA system. Let the harvest begin. Liz had no idea what that could have meant. She was much more preoccupied on getting out of the maze, and from the sound of things, she wasn't the only one. She heard the sound of rustling corn and running feet from all around her. Out of the darkness, she saw a man running towards her. He was about her age and just a bit taller than she was, and had a panicked expression on his face. He pushed Liz out of the way and continued straight down the path. Behind him was a hooded figure clad in a purple cloak. Liz had never really gone to a haunted attraction before, but assumed that this sort of thing would have been just a part of a show. Her assumption was proven wrong after the man discovered that he had run right into a dead end. Liz watched in silent horror as the purple-hooded figure pulled out a knife and used it to efficiently remove the man's face and eyes. Liz eventually remembered that she had legs and ran deeper into the maze. The purple-cloaked figure turned to give chase. Liz rapidly weaved through the intersections of the maze. Every new turn revealed a new purple-cloaked figure, many of which were holding knives and large bags. Left, right, right, left, right, left, left. Every turn looked the same. The shadows from the lanterns flickered off the ears of corn that looked to be bloodstained. Liz turned left one more time before being met with a wall of corn. Behind her, she could hear a team of purple-cloaked figures approaching closely. Liz plunged her hand into the stalks, hoping she could find a way through. Her fingers hit hard against the limestone walls hidden behind the rows. She turned around with just enough time to see the shadowy figure bring the knife down onto her. The figures emerged from the maze, their deep purple robes now speckled with flecks of red. Each of them carried a large, heavy bag in their hands. One ran up to the other excitedly. Hey, Blair! You get a good haul this year? The one pulled off their hood and smiled. Yeah, it was a really good harvest. You know, I was a little worried when she went into the maze early, but we found each other in the end. Ah, that's sweet. The two of them climbed onto the tractor bed and rode back to the community center. Ah! What? That story was really scary. I know being chased through a maze can be pretty scary. There are whole documentaries about that. No, not that. The idea of working at a hardware store just gives me the heebie-jeebies. The scariest thing this Halloween isn't the void outside. It's the void between your ears. I'll take any void over being behind the counter of a hardware store. Oh, trick-or-treaters! Unlikely. One for you, and one for you, and one for you. 
Your costumes look great. Good job. Stay safe. John, who are you talking to? Oh, no one. Okay. Well, I think it's about time to read my story. Be careful! What? Someone could have hit a razor blade in your story. Or worse yet, drugs. Yeah, I'll take my chances. And that just about wraps it up for the evening block, folks. As always, thank you for listening to 104.8 Madison Lake Local Radio. This is Brody Fines, here to remind you to creep it real this Halloween night. After the break, we'll be taking calls for the annual Shiver and Shriek Story Contest. We'll be back in two shakes of a skeleton's shin bone. Brody pressed the broadcast button and yanked down his headphones. He spun in his wheelie chair to snatch his water bottle off the table, taking a much-needed gulp from it. Frankly, he would have preferred to be downing alcohol with his buddies at one of the many Halloween parties happening around town, but duty calls. There was always hope that Jason would save him a flask full of that new drink he was making, the embalmer, for after work. After all, the night would still be young by the time Brody signed off. Nonetheless, right now he was content to do his part to foster local Halloween spirit. The mix he had chosen for that day included plenty of spooky music to get people into the mood, and with the story contest about two minutes away, it was sure to be a good night. The Shivers and Shrieks contest had been held each year as far back as anyone could remember, started long before Brody took the mantle of radio host, and was a favorite tradition among townsfolk. It helped that there was an incentive of a grand prize, where one particularly talented storyteller would be given a $50 credit to the local video store. Brody always advertised it as a way to get access to all the classic scary movies, but he knew that the town's teenagers just used it as a way to get easy access to adult films if they won. Still, it was fun to let townspeople try their hand at spinning yarns. More often than not, the stories they told were less than stellar, but even the campy ones were entertaining in their own way. As the commercial break advertising Marcy's Corner Store came to a close, Brody replaced his headphones and went back on the air. Welcome back, guys and ghouls. As the witching hour fast approaches, the annual Shivers and Shriek Story Contest commences. Remember, these have to be original stories, no rehashing any Hitchcock flicks. The lines are now open. Call, if you dare. It didn't take long at all for the phone next to Brody to ring, and he immediately snapped it up. Lucky caller number one, what's your name and what terrifying tale do you have for us this evening? The frail voice of an old woman rattled from the other end of the line. I'm Eleanor, Eleanor Loomis. I had the most shocking thing happen to me just last Sunday. You see, she paused there, taking a moment to clear her throat. Brody winced as the audio crackled. My husband winced and he passed on about, oh, three months ago. We'd been married for 47 years. 47 years, can you believe it? My, how the time goes. Anyway, I was getting ready for bed, as I do each night, right after my stories end, and I just turned off the light. I climbed into bed. Oh, it's the one I used to share with Winston, you see. And then the oddest thing happened. The door creaked open. At first, I thought it was Mitzi. Uh, Mitzi is my cat, sweet little calico. She's such a doll. Well, I thought it was Mitzi, so I called to her. She meows when I call to her, usually, but there was no response. Well, the door opened, and the strangest thing happened. Do you know what it was? Brody, who'd been in the middle of taking a sip of water when Mrs. Loomis asked him, sputtered to respond, <coughs> No, <coughs> no, what was it? The clock started ticking. Now, honey, we've had this clock for years. Forty-seven years. We got it as a wedding present forty-seven years ago. It hasn't worked since the seventies, but there it was. 
tick-tock, tick-tock, and I knew, I just knew, it was a sign from my Winston, letting me know that he's with me from the other side. Here it seemed Mrs. Loomis had finished recounting her experience, as she fell silent. Brody took this as a sign to respond. That's quite the story, Eleanor. I wouldn't call it a scary ghost story, but it certainly was a heartfelt one. Thank you for sharing with us. Eleanor responded with some polite little murmurs, and Brody ended the call. Now, which of you has the guts to share your scariest story with us? It only took a few seconds for another call to come through, and as dutiful as ever, Brody went ahead and answered it. Hello, 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 caller number two. Who are you, and how can you horrify us on this All Hallows' Eve? I'm, a uh, Tommy, came the voice from the other end. Brody knew who it was instantly, and likely so did most of the other listeners. Tommy Matchwick was a quarterback for the Madison Lake High Devils. I've got a really good one, man. Happened to me, like, a month ago? So me and my girl, <laughs> she's smoking hot, by the way, well, she and me go out to the park, you know? The one on the edge of town, with the parking lot that's in the woods? So, like, we're parked, and we're making out, and we're at, like, third base, getting to home base, you dig? Anyway, so, yeah, we're going at it, and then we hear a knock at the window. We look up, but we don't see anyone, so I get out of the car to investigate, you know? Make sure the coast is clear to keep getting it on. And then I get hit, and this big guy, he comes, like, lumbering towards me and stuff and starts chasing me. So I run, and he keeps on coming after me, man, and I'm, like, running. And we get far away, and then I realize that he's not behind me anymore, so I go back around to my car to make sure my girl's okay, and I get there, and she's, like, she's, like, dead, dead man and there's a hook hanging from the door oh, i forgot to mention the guy the hunter the killer guy he had a hook for a hand brody had to bite back laughter after taking a moment to compose himself he said man you must have been really scared uh, you're a girl that wouldn't be kelly pines would it yeah man kelly was my girlfriend i saw her in the supermarket two days ago she looks pretty healthy for a dead girl there was laughter from the other end of the phone line, and Tommy shouted, Stop laughing, man! Shh! Brody cut off the phone call. Well, that was quite the story, huh, folks? Why don't we see who else can offer up some chills? Brody leaned back in his chair, kicking his feet up onto the desk. When the phone rang for a third time that night, he languidly reached across the soundboard to get it. Welcome to the party, number three. Tell us, what's your name and what's your screamworthy tale? The folks are just dying to know. This time, the voice that answered was a young woman. She stumbled over her words a little as she began to speak. I'm, uh, I'm Tony, and I guess my story is about something that happened to me over the summer? Brody reclined in his chair once again, phone tucked between his shoulder and his ear. Tony continued speaking, getting more confidence as she went on. I worked at Camp Stone over the summer, assisting in the nurse's office. It was pretty routine stuff, mostly I took care of first aid. I'm trained in it from Girl Scouts, so I guess I was qualified to do the easy fixes. Well, one day, after the campers had gone to sleep, I was alone in the nurse's cabin. It was late, and I don't remember where Nurse Olive went, but I was alone in the cabin, and the phone rang. I went to answer it, but... Tony paused her story, and the line fell silent for a moment. Her breathing hitched, and a low, mechanical hum emanated from her end of the line. And then she picked up speaking again. Like I said, I went to answer it, but when I said hello, there was no response. I tried another time, and... Again, Tony's voice was replaced by a hum. It started low and then picked up in pitch. A low voice said something into the receiver, though it didn't sound like that of a teenage girl. Hey, uh, Tony, is everything good over there? You're not getting disconnected, are you? 
Brody switched the phone to his other ear. No, no, I'm good. Sorry, can you hear that? She didn't wait for a response. The lights are flickering here. Sorry, I don't mean to... Can you hear that? The hum had grown, and indeed it was audible from the other end of the line. Static began to crackle lightly, like someone was breathing into the receiver. It went quiet for another moment, and Tony picked up speaking once again. Sorry. So I pick up the phone, and there's no response at first. Then a voice says... The buzzing on the other end returned, this time at full volume. It was accompanied by panicked breathing. You can hear that, right? I, I, I think I'm in danger. Uh, the lights won't turn back on, and I think... I think there's someone in here with me, who are listening. Another voice spoke over Tony's, deep and distorted. Over the rush of static, it was difficult to make out what it said, though it sounded like the numbers 9 and 14. Brody cut in. All right, nice job. Color me impressed, he grinned. I'll admit that the theatrics are a nice touch, if a bit cliche. You're really going all out for the contest, huh? This wouldn't be the first time some cheeky teen had pulled a prank. Anyone who was willing to flip the script a little was guaranteed to win the contest. Tony didn't respond. Her breaths heaved into the phone, and her audio was corrupted by that same mechanical whirring and static. After a moment of radio silence, there was a shriek. She spoke again, this time barely audible over the sounds of buzzing. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Please, please help. Something is wrong, and I don't know what- Whoa, whoa, hey, slow down! Brody sat up straight in his chair, clasping the phone with both hands. Something in Tony's voice sped his pulse up a bit. Can you hear me? Uh, tell me what's going on. I don't know. I can't- I can barely hear you. Please, please send help. Something is wrong and- Something popped loudly, like a light bulb blowing. A low, rumbling growl of that deep voice replaced Tony's for a moment, muttering out complete gibberish. When she picked up speaking once more, it was barely coherent. Few words could be picked out from the din of the static. Please, help, need, call, I'm in danger, help, danger. Another pop sounded, followed by several more in succession. The line fell silent for a moment, but before long, from the deafening quiet, Tony's voice spoke up. The connection must have still been bad as her voice crackled. Twelve, five, twenty, thirteen, five, nine, fourteen, nine, twenty-three, one, fourteen, twenty, twenty, fifteen, five, fourteen, twenty, five, eighteen, twelve, five, twenty, thirteen, five, nine, fourteen. With that, Tony's line went dead. Brody sat in shock for a moment, then quickly, with a slight shake in his voice, addressed the audience. <laughs> uh, sit tight, folks. I'm going to make sure everything is aces with our friend Tony. Uh, be right back. He slammed the broadcast button and put on the Halloween mix once again. A quick three-digit dial connected Brody with who he needed to talk to. As he waited for the dispatcher to answer, he retrieved the number from which Tony had called. 911, what's your emergency? Hello? Uh, this is Brody Fines from the local radio. I just received a call from a young woman, and I think she might be in trouble. I don't know if it's just part of an act or what, but it sounded pretty legit to me. Nerves jumping, he relayed the story to the dispatcher. She followed along patiently. Only when Brody stopped did she start questioning. Do you know where she was calling from, sir? No, no, I, I don't even have a last name. She told me her name was Tony, and she was calling from 908-5550163. That's all I got for you. That's fine. Thank you, sir. Wait just one moment for me, okay? Everything is going to be fine. The line went quiet for a moment, and then the dispatcher spoke once more. 
Her tone did not inspire confidence. You're sure that was the right number? Uh, positive. I have it right here. I'm looking at it. There was a brief silence. The dispatcher said, Sir, that number isn't registered to anyone. No, no, that's impossible. She just called from this number, I swear to God. Sir, if this is a prank... Brody barely kept himself from shouting. It's not. At least I I'm not pranking you. I swear to God, I just answered a call from that number. On the radio, you can ask anyone who is listening. I'm telling you, I think something happened to that girl. It took him several seconds to realize that he was talking to a dial tone. Brody slammed the receiver down and ran a hand through his hair. He had no idea what to do or why a 911 operator would hang up on him. Sure, kids called in phony emergencies all the time, but he was telling the truth. As the seconds ticked by, he believed less and less that Tony's call had been a prank. They'd received prank calls at the station before. This didn't resemble one of those. Unless Tony was a really good actor, that was real, genuine fear. Sitting hunched in his office chair, Brody willed his nerves to calm down. Quiet songs of the radio mix played in the background. The tune of a Blue Oyster Colt song slowly faded in with a low hum. It grew and grew, and before long, the lyrics were inaudible over the familiar buzzing whir of static. Brody's heart hitched in his throat. Overhead, the lights of the radio station flickered once, twice, and then blew with a cacophony of popping glass. Feedback from the microphone rocked the table it stood on, and it was impossible to tell whether the music was still even playing. That buzz grew ever louder, laced with a deep, ominous murmur that reverberated against every surface. Though they were no longer on his head, Brody could hear the aggressive buzz coming from his headphones, splitting his eardrums. He ripped them from his neck and flung them across the room, where they clattered against the door. Brody curled in his chair, hands over his ears. The noise was deafening. He could barely think. Then, just as suddenly as it all started, the buzzing stopped. The room fell dead silent. Even the music had stopped playing. In the soundproofed room, nothing could be heard aside from the blood in his ears. Next to him, the phone rang. With a trembling hand, Brody reached to pick it up. Hello? Twelve, five, twenty, thirteen, five, nine, fourteen, nine, twenty-three, one, fourteen, twenty, twenty, fifteen, five, fourteen, twenty, five, eighteen, twelve, five, twenty, Thirteen, five, nine, fourteen, said Tony in monotone. She repeated herself twice, and then the line went dead. Brody, nodding silently to himself, stood carefully and retrieved his headphones. He slipped them back on and took his seat behind his desk. Bringing the microphone close to his mouth, he reached for the broadcast button and pressed it. His lips parted, and Brody Fines began his sign-off message. Twelve, five, Twenty, thirteen, five, nine, fourteen. Well, there we have it. You read a story and I read mine. And that's all we got. That's all we ever get. That's all we're here for. It sure is. How about we put in a movie? Do you want to see Three Witches and a Baby or Skeleton's Night Out? Personally, I think Skeleton's Night Out is a nondescript winter holiday movie, but some people watch it this time of year. Actually, I'd prefer something a little scarier. Maybe the quiet of the cows. Sure. I'll rewind the tape. You go ahead and put some popcorn on. Okay. Be right back. Uh, Jane? Go ahead and start it without me. Uh, okay. Okay.
Another day in paradise. Such aphorisms were popular at the time clock at Need Park. Hordes of employees were lining up to start their shifts at the popular amusement park. More so than usual, because among the ride operators and the traditional 30s soda jerks were hundreds of people who had been brought on for the Halloween season. Teams of ghouls and ghosts ready to scare expectant guests. This season, Troy found himself among their ranks. He wasn't usually the type to go to haunted houses or even Halloween parties. Because of this, he found that his nights and weekends in October were wide open. He had heard some people around campus talking about possibly auditioning to be one of Need's haunts this year. After looking online, he decided to send in his application. The hours were amazingly flexible, and as a college student, he couldn't exactly ignore the siren song of a few extra dollars in his wallet. The interview process was interesting, to say the least. Troy had never auditioned for anything before, so he really had no expectations going in. People in the waiting area were growling, yelling, and writhing wildly. Most of them said they had some sort of theater or familiar theme park experience before, but for all of them, this was their first year coming out for Need Park. One of them speculated that the veterans to the park must have had their auditions days ago. It wasn't long before one of the supervisors called Troy into the studio. They had him try a number of different things during the course of his audition. Troy was asked to shamble like a zombie, laugh like a maniacal clown, even scream like his life was in danger. The staff seemed impressed when he was told to pretend to be holding a knife and stalking someone down a dark alley. He was offered a position on the spot. Orientation was going to be next week, and rehearsals would start the week after that. The interviewer shook his hand and welcomed him to the team. You know, I could easily see you becoming a permanent fixture in our parks, he said with a laugh. Uh, Thanks, Troy replied, still trying to process exactly what had happened. The next week flew by without incident. Troy completed all of his classwork, and once Saturday rolled around, he found that he was actually excited to go to orientation. Pretty much as soon as he arrived, he was ushered into one of the park's theaters. The man from the interview stood in the front of the crowd. Behind him, a PowerPoint presentation flickered on a screen that, through the last season, had shown exclusively 4D movies. Good morning. I'm glad to see everybody could make it. Now, does everybody have a head? Troy chuckled along with everyone else in the room at the joke. Now, how many of you know who I am? A few hands at the ends of the rows went up. I'm not surprised. My name tag says Mr. Dunnett, but everyone around here just calls me Hugh. I'm the director of entertainment here at Need Park. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. I know that all of you will be very close by the end of this whole experience. Hugh told everyone about the history of the park, expectations as a park representative, and some more specific rules about their job as haunts. First, under no circumstances should you touch a guest, and no guest should ever touch you. We know that some people have set their flight or fight to fight and have ripped off the knob, We will have security positioned all around the park to make sure that you are safe and that our guests feel safe. Secondly, never break character. You will make friends at this job that will last for the rest of your lives. However, we ask that when you're on the clock that you not talk to each other out of character. It can really ruin the immersion. He probably set a third rule at this point, but it all became a haze after that. Now, when you came in, you should have been seated according to your area, so look to your left. And now look to your right. Those people are going to be joining you in your scarias. I will now let your captains take you on a tour. And I'll be seeing you around the park. Hugh threw something down on the ground and a puff of smoke appeared at his feet. A moment later, he was gone and the crowd burst into applause. Troy was impressed. He wasn't aware that there were trapdoors in this theater. The tour took him out to one of the curved paths between the themed lands. 
It wasn't much to look at, but the captain assured everyone that it would soon be a bustling hub full of fanatics and raving lunatics, but enough about the customers. Over the next week or so, they would practice jumping, lurching, and being generally menacing. All the practice in the world would be no substitute for the real thing. Soon enough, the sets were built and the costumes were handed out and guests were sent running from one land to the other. Troy, despite not being the biggest fan of Halloween events, found that he had a real knack for scaring people. He tried not to use the word power trip, but it felt good to generate that kind of reaction in people. He was having a great time, but every night he would take a moment to appreciate the veterans doing their thing. They had a surprising amount of dedication to their craft, and the special effects? Whew. Every night he would watch a burly cultist in a purple robe chase a terrified villager down the path and disembowel them in front of everyone. And the next day they would show up and do it all again. It just looked so real. You know, it's the darndest thing, but Troy could swear that the villager didn't look much older than a teenager. But according to the others, he had been doing this for over a decade now. One thing they didn't mention during orientation was the fact that employees were fed incredibly well. A guest would usually pay around $20 per person for a meal in the park. In the employee area, the same food would be only a few bucks, which was perfect for a next-to-broke college student like Troy. Every day he would clock his break and have a burger and some fries, or some cheesecake, or an extra-large turkey leg, seasonally renamed a cadaver cut. The season wore on and on and it was the best weeks of Troy's life. He was active. He was doing something he loved. He was becoming increasingly tired and sore, but only when he wasn't scaring. Every day after clocking out, he could feel his joints becoming more and more stiff. His voice was becoming more and more hoarse. It hurt to talk. It hurt to move. Any movement that wasn't on the clock was a labor. It seemed like the other first years were experiencing something similar. And he couldn't ask any of the veterans, since they didn't seem to hang out after their shifts. Interestingly enough, there weren't nearly as many newcomers left working in the park as there were at orientation. Troy almost didn't notice at first. Almost like he had forgotten about them entirely. But he could definitely tell the number was dwindling. The final weekend was here, and the job was the only thing keeping Troy going. His grades were slipping, and his only social interaction was the character work he did with the other haunts. He was starting to feel more and more like an NPC in a video game. He did the same actions every day, he said the same things every day, and he ate the same cafeteria food every day. On Halloween night, he gave his best performance yet. Every scare was on point, and his energy was at its highest point since he started the job. He barely made it to the time clock before he felt his joints lock up. He collapsed face first on the ground. He stared down at the cold, gray bricks of the employee break area felt a warm hand on his shoulder turn him over to look straight up at the night sky. The first thing he saw was a clipboard. Someone scribbled down something and then lowered the clipboard to reveal a name tag. Congratulations! We've decided to extend your contract! Hugh leaned down to look Troy in the eyes. Looks like you're going to be a permanent fixture in the park! Troy couldn't possibly say anything even if he wanted to. All his muscles felt like they had been replaced by hard plastics. But as he lay there, his willpower was reduced to nothing. He wanted nothing more than to keep working in his scaria. Move him. Mr. Dunnett gestured to the two people standing nearby. One grabbed Troy's legs and the other grabbed his arms. The two of them carried him through the employee's section, past the set dressing that had already been taken down. Teams were already untangling and hanging Christmas lights. 
Nearby, the sound of a metal shipping crate being opened could be heard. Troy was set upright and placed with the other haunts. The next Halloween season wouldn't start for about ten more months, but as the doors to the crate were closed and the last sliver of light disappeared, Troy knew that he and the other scare veterans would be very, very close. Good evening. This is my favorite Mandela effect. He never says, hello, Klaatu Varada Nikto. He says, good evening, Klaatu Varada Nikto. Okay. Shut up and watch the movie. Happy Halloween, Jane. Happy Halloween, John. Uncommon Commons is a podcast. It is written and recorded by Alex Vitale and George Plank. Our theme song was written by Charles Adam Robinson. And our logo designed by Sam Vitale Kaufman. Special thanks to our EA, Rebecca Tewksbury. You can find us on Twitter at un underscore commons. Today's stories were... Harvest Festival by George Plank. 104.8 by Alex Vitale. And Immediate Scaria by George Plank. Thank you for listening, and join us next week for our next episode. Stay. And remember, nothing nothing is is real. real.